is is important and 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 you find there's there's this kind of welcome to the lifelong learning podcast with chris mcguire hello and welcome to episode five of the lifelong learning podcast today i'm joined by a dear colleague the wonderful Lisa Nash. Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. I'm really looking forward to this. So, as we as we normally do with each of these episodes, could you just share a little bit about what you do in your day-to-day work? Okay, so my role is um, digital learning and library services, and so I have a bit of a split role. Um, I've always uh, worked with our libraries in terms of um, integrating, you know, uh, digital resources in those libraries and looking after that that sort of thing as well as the professional learning of, mm-hmm. of our library staff um, and supporting them in terms of any sorts of resources to um, enhance and develop learning across the diocese um, and then also work in our schools uh, to actually integrate technology in schools. So there's obviously, you know, um, a clear sort of nexus of, of things that happen there, so the resources to support it as well as the technology that you need to access those resources. Excellent. And uh, I believe a congratulations is in order because you have just this week completed your Masters of Education, Knowledge Networks and Digital Innovation. Well done. How was it? Um, oh, it was it was fantastic. You know, um you come out of this course and I feel like I've not only, you know, really deepened my learning um, around around digital learning, because a lot of that was the focus of this, this course, but um, not and knowledge, you know, around how do we create knowledge, um, deeper thinking, uh, digital literacies, um, design thinking. So I've learnt so many different um, things. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, though, was sort of being part of that network of people who we've got quite a diverse range of people that do that course Mm -hmm. and so having those um, people with diverse skills means that it brings another um, sort of level of thinking around uh, your learning so Mm -hmm. it's been it's been really wonderful and I've had lots of great experiences. Mm-hmm. The people who work with you, myself included, uh, we benefit from that knowledge and um, also from your experiences within the course as well. And that's a big driver of this podcast because um, I'm doing the same course with you and I've you know watched you power through these courses and you're a, you're a weapon. <laughs> Lisa, you do a great job. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been worthwhile doing it and I'm a bit like, you know, you you call this lifelong learning and I think over the years I've always tried to sort of push myself to learn new things but doing a master's is like another level up, I think. So mm-hmm. um, it's been, you know, for anyone that has to do it, as you know, you, you're juggling work and life balance as well mm-hmm. and you add study and that adds another level but it's, you know, it's really, really been worth it. Excellent. Okay, so let's let's talk about that, this concept of digital literacy. Now, digital literacy, you, you think back, you know, 20 years ago, I mean, what a concept that has evolved over that time. So could you unpack just for people listening, and it could be parents under, trying to understand digital literacy, what, what does that mean? What does that entail? Um, well, you know, there's so many components really to digital literacy. Um, the first one that, you know, comes to mind, I think, for most parents um, is that um, cyber safety sort of aspects of being mm-hmm. a digital um, literate 
student mm-hmm. um, or person which we we talk about generally as digital citizenship yeah so it was all of those sort of things around um, you know responsible use and respect full use of of technologies and things like that Mm -hmm. so that's a big one for parents you know because there's a lot of equipment out there there's a lot of devices um you know kids are on social networks so those sort of skills that we need to supply them you know we need to have these them working with these tools in our schools because they're using them outside anyway so Mm -hmm. we need to model how to how to utilize those tools properly I mean, that's just one component. Um, but then there's those information literacy skills that are in, in utilising a digital networked information world. So, what, yeah, cause unpack that for us a little bit for, you know, people listening. What does information literacy mean? Um, so information literacy is about being able to, you know, select or, or, or locate, I suppose, locate um, the right sort of information. How do you locate it? And nowadays... You know, it's not just about going to a library and, and picking up a book. Um, it's also, it is that. You can still do that and books are still, um, you know, important. But you have got all these digital resources. So it's about being able to know, you know, yes, you might go to Google, but you also need to know that there's other resources out there. There's databases, there's e-books, um, all of that sort of thing. So being able to locate, but then select, like, you know, which of those resources are the right resources for what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, is it at my right, um, you know, correct age level? Can I read it? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those sorts of things. Um, and then evaluating those resources, you know, is it true? Like yeah. we talk about, there's a lot of in the media about fake news. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is it true? So we need to be able to have some sort of skills to select that. Or, or does it have a bias? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we used to do that, or we still do that with books in print as well. There can be a bias in those as well. But mm-hmm. um, these are the sorts of skills they need, those information literacy skills. Um, and then really just being able to, all those other things about syn- synthesizing. So actually, you know, pulling out the information that's there so you can utilize it, reutilize it in whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. and then analyzing all mm-hmm. of that. So there's sort of that circular, um, you know, uh, sort of process where yeah. you might even be doing that um, again and again and again so mm-hmm. you might go through that and then you might go and locate more resources because mm-hmm. you need to add to your knowledge and it sounds like as you explain um, information literacy you can hear those skills of critical thinking really kind of underpinning that because I, I totally agree with what you're saying there's there's so many sources of information now we're information rich at the moment and um, yeah, so I, I understand with what you're saying. You need to be able to critically select the information that you consume, but also, as you're saying, understand the biases that exist within those different information sources. Very, very, very important skill. Um, so, also thinking about students uh, becoming digitally literate. Mm-hmm. I mean, a big a big part of that is is staff, teachers people who work within an educational institution that's that's an important part um what have you found with regards to students taking on new technologies new social network platforms and the need for educators to not just keep up with the trend but to guide the responsible use of that technology um yeah i mean look we we definitely need you know teachers so um you know sometimes students in that respect too, you mm-hmm. know, because 
technology changes so fast um, and, you know, it, it can be difficult for teachers to be on top of everything as well. So I think, you know, what I found is that it really is about sometimes maybe um, teachers letting go of having to know everything about technology, but to try and sort of, you know, work with students about, you know, utilising their skills because some students will have knowledge of one device or, or some sort of app or something that, you know, a teacher can go, oh, great, that's good, we could use that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're never all going to have enough knowledge um, of all technology and I think that's where we need to sort of go, well, in this case students can become the teachers or the experts in in those areas because let's leave the actual um, pedagogy of teaching to the teachers Mm -hmm. um, so they can focus on on the learning and not so much on whether the devices you know um, apply or whether they're employing the right device or not but really it kind of feels like there's been there is a shift with um you know, we don't need a teacher for learning to occur, but we're also focusing on developing skills with students to be able to learn how to learn. That's right. And I mean, knowledge is so decentralized now anyway. So how can you say that you're the expert in the room? Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to Google and find out things. You know, you can go to Wikipedia. Um, you can go anywhere. And in fact, mm. in fact, you could actually tweet out to an expert in the world instead and actually ask firsthand Mm -hmm. hey there's you know there's a primary source Mm -hmm. tweet someone and say you know why why did you do this or what you know yeah i don't know an expert on you know you're doing a project on should we cull sharks well Mm -hmm. you know tweet out to an expert on sharks Mm -hmm. well what what do you think is that the um is that the the knowledge economy where you know information used to be centralized but now, as you say, it is decentralised in that, you know, the use education took place in these traditional institutions. But now, exactly what you're saying there, you can you can tweet, you can you can tap into networks of people across the world. So th- those affordances now exist. And and how does how do you see the teaching practice change with a tool such as an iPad that can be used to you know connect with someone on the other side of the world? How do you see that changing the teaching practice? Um, how does it change the teaching practice? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's so much more that you can quickly sort of just in time um, capture thinking with, with digital tools. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many options in terms of giving feedback that allows to students to have that at their point of need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whereas... If you may have done some written feedback in a an exercise book and that exercise book stays at school, you know, what about when that student has a bit of a, you know, they're thinking about what they did that day and they're at home, they've got no way to sort of refer back to that. Um, they might then have to wait to the next day and it probably it's then gone out of their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that That opportunity for us to have those sort of um, collaborative um, sites or those sort of um, flipped learning type sites mm-hmm. where, you know, the the teacher's already given them some feedback in that site and that student, you know, at 4.30 in the afternoon is reading something for the next day and then goes, oh, I need to check, you know, what, what the teacher gave me some feedback on that or, oh, actually, you know what, I've got a question. I might just, you know, throw that in 
to Google Classroom or, or something like that, an Edmodo or whatever, and and my you know peers might help me out because I've got this question about the assignment. Mm-hmm. So so you know really that's what the tools sort of open us up to, sort of changing that that learning really. Mm-hmm. Um, it really redefines how students can actually access knowledge, mm-hmm. but also probably reflect on um, their thinking. I mm-hmm. think that's where it's changed changes practice. And you you mentioned the tool there, the Google Classroom. Could you just unpack that a little bit for people listening? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of um, tools out there, different platforms that allow for. I suppose it's a little bit like a networking site but they also allow for um, you know it's sort of safe community for students mm-hmm. so it's a site which is all about learning yep. um, and so Google Classroom set up for schools where students can all be logged in by their teacher um, and they get in there and the, the teacher can provide um, activities they can provide uh, resources in there but students can also use it as a, a forum, really. So a forum mm-hmm. to ask questions. They can upload their assignments. Um, and some of the, the, the best uses I've seen is where they've really allowed that forum where the students can sort of discuss things with each other because then they learn from each other as well mm-hmm. as from the teacher. Yep. So it's a Google Classroom is set up for students to participate with, not just receive information from the teacher, but to engage with. Yeah, that that's right. Really, when when they're participating in in that more discussion and more deep thinking, um, that's when they they're getting a lot more out of it. And it sounds like a, a nice platform to learn how to engage. And you, you touched on it a bit earlier, responsibly as a, as a digital citizen, how to responsibly engage online. So they practice on this almost like a sandpit of a closed network in a Google Classroom. Yeah, and it's like practice for the real world that there will be a a part of yeah well that's exactly right um you know because then they need to actually understand because you know you're in you are in a sort of yes it's a closed social network i suppose you know Mm -hmm. in some ways social learning network but Mm -hmm. you know they actually learn that you know okay i can't just you know make inappropriate comments you know this is actually about a learning platform how do i respond to people like if someone has, you know, put up some sort of feedback, how do I create that feedback? You know, is it, um, you know, is my feedback nice? But also, is it useful? Mm-hmm. Um, so they start to learn those sort of critical techniques um, within a platform. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with other types of things that we've done with devices, you know, around, you know, videoing. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about some of the issues that happen nowadays around inappropriate videos and and images being shared Mm -hmm. we need to start teaching students you know early on that you know actually you know you should be checking with people about being in your video that you know would they like to be in your video Mm -hmm. um how you know how do you share those those things um you know is it appropriate for you to share that video yeah um so understanding and providing students with a bit of I suppose, empathy about how those things can affect people when Mm. they're younger um, might help give them some of those skills and understandings of of what happens later on. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a really good point you're making there because there's so many new tools available. And if you want to engage with that, one, you need to understand 
uh, the potential consequences of it. So again, it's not just because I, sometimes it can feel that technology and programs is in a state of flux. It's always advancing. And if you decide to take on everything or really it's great to have a go at everything, but it's really important to understand fully what you're engaging with, especially when it involves other people's intellectual property or images and and things along those lines. Yeah, yeah, Mm. that's right. Um, You know, you talk about intellectual property. Well, that, you know, whole issue of copyright and respecting things that you're creating and, you know, part of what we're trying to do with learning is that um, we don't want students just to be consumers of of learning or content. You know, it's about creating content. Well, if we're encouraging them to create content, then we also have to um, give them some understanding of, you know, when they do create content or they're using other people's created content, then how do you respectfully use that? You know, like you need to attribute people. You need to actually check if they want you to use it. So you need yep. to, you know, check copyrights and things like that because down the track they could be the next you know um great singer who's producing a fantastic song and you know and that's their livelihood or they could be a great artist who's you know Mm -hmm. putting the images up on the internet to show people and you know people you know rip them off so Mm -hmm. i think that's you know especially when we're coming to the sort of we talk about the knowledge economy but when you talk about sort of probably um the what would you call it the work economy a lot of work economy now is online yeah mm-hmm. you know so Absolutely. they need to understand that that they may have a work economy down the track where all of their product is online so if you're you're not respectful about someone else's intellectual property then why would other people be respectful of of yours mm-hmm so, and a quick question for our educators who would be listening to this podcast. If I want to find out more information about copyright laws and, and things of that nature, where, where could you pursue um, or where could you find that information? Um, well, for our, we're really fortunate for our all our schools and education. There's a website called Smart Copying mm-hmm. um, and it provides um, all the guidelines around copyright. It is very complex. It's a very complex thing, mm-hmm. um, but it also has um, examples. It has little um, booklets, information papers, and all those sorts of things, and mm-hmm. some videos. So yeah, that's a great one-stop shop. Smart copying. Um, dot New South Wales. Edu. Au. Oh, very good. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, so let's um, let's talk about e library. What yep. does e library mean? What does the e mean? And I think we've got library down pat. But could you unpack that a little bit for us? Um. So. Yes, we we have had an e-library for quite a while, yeah. um, which is, I suppose, the e's for electronic. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we're rolling out a new e-library, and this takes it up another level to it's it's a cloud-based application. And when we say cloud-based, I mean that all of that, the information that's there is stored in the cloud or mm-hmm. really its servers yep. across the world. Servers, um, <laughs> yes. data centres. and yes. That's right. So... But they, they term it as in the cloud. Um, but um, So we have had it for a long time, but we're upgrading it. Um, and we're making it um, what we call is it's – we have because we have 81 schools, right? So we've got a library or an e-library, and, and we also use the terms digital library platform, mm-hmm. um, that every library, school library has it. And they can all um, – search for their own 
material on that library platform but they can also because it's what you call a sort of enterprise system is they can also search across the whole diocese Mm -hmm. so there's always um i suppose the benefits of that is that there's opportunities informally we don't have a formal system but there's opportunities to share resources um across all of our dioceses but then on top of that we've added this layer of this you know um, what we call the digital library platform which is like a, a website and there's system resources on there so the our our um, Catholic Education Diocese of Parramatta provides resources for our schools to provide equity and access so that they may not be able to, our smaller libraries may not be able to, or smaller schools have access to ebooks or mm-hmm. um, databases. So we provide these resources to schools via this digital library platform and we keep adding tools to that because. Again, those digital tools, we need to make sure we have them available to our students, one for what we talked about, information literacy, but also for digital literacy because they're out there reading online now. They're already using e-books. They're already reading off screens. So we need to actually make sure that we've got those tools and modelling the use of those in 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 learning in our schools. So students could use a device and have access to thousands of books on their device. That's right. What an incredible resource. It it is. I think, um, you know, our schools are very fortunate that we have uh, the systems provided thousands, yeah, thousands of e-books that they can read um, for recreation. Mm -hmm. Um, Our staff have e-books as well, so support all the professional learning and make them the best, um, you know, the, the best educators that they can be because they've got access to that. Um, and we've also got a whole lot of databases, so amazing, and and that sort of supports all the things instead of having to go to Wikipedia or Google, mm-hmm. um, in which you can still do that. There's yep. nothing wrong with that either, but it's good to have these authoritative resources um, in our databases. So, you know, international newspapers, um, you know, a science reference centre, you know, history information, all of these mm-hmm. articles, and there's online little magazines in there for students. Yep. Yeah. So let's unpack like an authority, authoritative resource versus a resource like Wikipedia. So I understand, you know, it's authoritative, authoritative because it, it's written by an expert. Mm. Whereas the difference with a Wikipedia page is that is open to the public to edit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And look, you know, I don't have anything against Wikipedia. I think, you know, collaborative knowledge um, is really good. You know, in Wikipedia, actually, um, there's been a lot of research saying that Wikipedia um, does have um, just as good as its experts. So that authoritative knowledge can be have its own biases, can't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think Wikipedia can be good, but I think what we need is they need to have a balance. And it's it's about probably about how they search for those things. So... I'll give you an example that um, – so the databases, probably the other um, affordances of the databases is not just about the authoritativeness but also about the um, the level of information because if you look up um, something at the topic of sharks in Wikipedia, the language that's in that Wikipedia article is probably aimed at upper secondary mm-hmm. Um well, if you go into our databases and we've got one for primary and one for secondary, the language in primary doesn't use all the scientific terms mm-hmm. um, that you find in Wikipedia. 
mm-hmm. a primary age student wouldn't even understand those. Yep. Then when you go to the secondary database, it's starting to use those scientific terms mm-hmm. when you look at that definition. And then when you go to Wikipedia, it's got a fully scientific um, explanation of it. Mm-hmm. So it's also about making sure we're matching the level of information to students. So if students had gone off to Wikipedia, they probably wouldn't have been able to even comprehend or understand mm-hmm. um, that information. Yep. And and even with students or children pursuing information, um, being able to go onto YouTube. So there are many benefits, but there are also many things to be aware of as a parent. What If I was a parent, um, what are some things that I guess are some ideas, protocols, practices that, that I could put in place to help ensure that my child is safe online when searching for information, whether it be on a Wikipedia page or on a YouTube page? What are some ideas or some tips that you could share? Um, I think the, the first thing really is that, you know, you should always be aware of um, what, you know, that what your child is doing on their devices. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is, you know, it depends on the age, obviously, but, you know, in primary, you know, and even secondary, you know, you should really have your devices out in a family area mm-hmm. and have some rules around mm-hmm. use. Um, I'm not really, you know, a big believer in sort of like shutting down things, but yeah. I just think having that open use, mm-hmm. I think, um, so that, you know, you're there and you're discussing, because really learning is also about um, working with your, your family and your parents mm-hmm. as well, like being able to feel you can have those discussions and things like that and that's the same with you know in class so i think you know parents knowing what they're doing having it out in the open the devices um and just having some probably rules around the amount of usage and you know um discussing those things you know if you've come across something um that you know is inappropriate or whatever that you should feel that you can tell people about those sorts of things Mm -hmm. and if i'm a parent um i'm i'm not tech savvy um is that is that a good enough answer um when it comes to use of technology in the the household do i need to take a step myself yeah it's it's a hard one isn't it i think um it would be good to you know your child's probably pretty tech savvy so Mm -hmm. you know you know we could say that about a lot of things couldn't you like i could say i'm not really that great at maths Mm -hmm. um so you know i'll you know not do anything with that with my child but you know, I think it's about just going, you know, at least be there and be interested and try and find out mm-hmm. what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and in some ways, some of the digital tools that we've got, you know, because like Google Classroom, we can allow parents to um, see what's happening for their child mm-hmm. in that Google Classroom. So, you know, show their interest. Um, you know, I remember a teacher telling me years ago, and I mean, you know, I've got a library background, but my daughter was a fantastic reader. And by the time she got to year four, I was sort of letting her, year four or five, I was letting her read to herself. And her teacher said to me, look, that's great, but you know what, actually, she's such so advanced in reading that she's probably actually not comprehending what she's reading. The and concepts she, within the story. Perhaps. Yeah, and so you need to, you know, be there some some of the time and maybe allow her to have that discussion with you about what she's reading so she can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That was a really powerful thing for me to realise that, you know, I thought I was helping her because she was so independent and she wanted to read by herself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she still needed me and, and wanted to have that discussion because that's where you learn, isn't it, from mm-hmm. the discussion. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I wanted to um, ask you about, you know, as adults, um, we, we, what we're finding is a digital divide between, you know, students who are, or children who are born, the um, Generation Alpha, was that after 2010, who were born with access to network technology mm. as a toddler versus parents who haven't had too much experience. What is, what is some advice with adults and ev- educators as well um, in pursuing or self-directing their own learning with regards to technology and how it can enable learning? Yeah, so, you know, they talk about um, digital natives and, um, you know, and a lot of that research is showing now that there's no such thing as a digital native. Mm -hmm. So, um, really, we've still got um, students and, you know, young adults who've left school perhaps who, yes, they might be able to, you know, use their phone really well to upload to Facebook and, you know, Instagram and do all of that sort of thing. But... Mm -hmm. In terms of using technology for mm-hmm. learning, there still may be a gap. Mm-hmm. So I've heard the term now. Um, uh, what is it? Digital um, digital immigrants and digital um, natives immigrant natives? no natives immigrants. No, there was another one though. Locals. <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten now. But it was really about saying that um, you know it's actually the people the residents. That's it. Digital yep. residence. Yep. So it's really about digital residence. It's 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 talking about that concept where um, the the people that are using um, technology, there might be people that are visitors to it, so they're using it for certain things, mm-hmm. but they're not resident in using the technology. So that might be a better analogy for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think going back to what you asked about, you know, how would we help, say, teachers who maybe don't feel that they're resident in mm-hmm. that technology um i am a big believer in you know why don't you take one or two things and do them well we can be very overwhelmed with the amount of things that are out there but maybe what you do is you just start with small steps mm-hmm. because a lot of those skills that you get from one thing you can transfer to another thing and once mm-hmm. you start to feel more confident mm-hmm. um as well but I think too, you know, open yourself up to um, new experiences. You know, talk to people um, in your um, in your work, like at school. Um, join things, you know, get online and have a look at things, mm-hmm. um, and ask people. You know, the the people that I see um, that you know the most creative and um, and actually learn a lot are the ones that ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. i like i like what you're saying there so just take on one or two things and it doesn't matter where you are on your journey with you know implementing technology you still have one next step and, and i like that because it seems way more achievable in in reaching these goals or and helping you know implement technology to enable the learning that's um yeah so they're really good practical and, and i also like what you said there have a go yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, just at least but what try. If you, but what if you press the wrong button and something bad happens? Yeah, well, <laughs> nothing bad will happen. So, <laughs> you know. Um, no, well, you've got to have a try. And you know what? If it did, if something bad does happen, well, you've learned from that. That's you know it. what? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you've got to try things, I think. Mm-hmm. That's that's the big thing. And, um, yeah, I think and, – and asking questions, that's, that's mm-hmm. a really, really big thing. And most people, you know – that's the interesting thing about this world is that sometimes I think we're afraid to show that we don't know. 
But the person that you're asking the question of, they're, obviously, they're, they're often the most generous of people. Like people mm-hmm. are generous. And in fact, they like helping. Mm-hmm. Most people like helping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you ask them and they're knowledgeable in that area, they're really happy to, you know, impart that, that those skills that mm-hmm. they have. I like that. So be willing to take risks, ask questions, and and realize that you just have one next step to focus on. Don't look at the big, at the whole, um, you know, don't look at the the end of the race yet. Just look at the, the next few steps in front of us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I think um, it's just that's exciting. Like, you know, take on a few new things each year and then pat yourself on the back afterwards when you go, you know what, I learned how to do that this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Lisa Nash... Thank you very much for your time, and uh, and we're going to take away those uh, three uh, the three takeaways that our listeners could implement. Nice practical advice, and uh, it's very interesting hearing about the developments of digital technologies. Thanks, Chris. It's been a great experience. Mm-hmm.